Hi, welcome to another episode of Sisters Gone Platinum with your hosts, Rena and Vicky, where if you're looking to be inspired, entertained, and encouraged, you've reached the right place. Pull up a seat. We got you, sis. Today's episode is brought to you by Exclusive Services by My Girls, your premier destination for top-notch house cleaning, handyman, and organizational services. Exclusive Services by My Girls isn't just a cleaning service, it's a commitment to excellence. Their team of experts go above and beyond to ensure your space is not just clean, but a sanctuary you look forward to coming home to. Whether you're a busy professional or someone who values their time, Exclusive Services by My Girls understands your needs and delivers exceptional cleaning, tailored just for you. A huge thank you to Exclusive Services by My Girls for sponsoring this podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Sisters Gone Platinum. I'm your host, Pamela Jones, and I'm here with... Her sister, Vicky. <laughs> yes, my sister, Vicky. It has been quite some time since we got back together, but we are actually, should we tell them? Oh, we should tell them. All right. Well, we are uh, producing a special edition to Sisters Gone Platinum. And with that in mind, do you want to share a little bit of what this is about? Yes. Um, on the 4th of this month of January... Um, a show came out called The Daughters of the Cult. Correct. And it hit home. It opened up memories and floodgates. I can't even say it. <laughs> we didn't bring no Kleenex, girl. That's okay. Whew. So many memories. And so many says. fears. So many stories. And you're fine. I ha. got you. Yeah. That's the only way, reason I can do this. Anyways, it opened up so many memories of good times, bad times, hard times, uh, struggles, what, and uh, I figured it it would be very important for us to to get our our little angle of the story out there, get um, just to to set a, uh, an example for a whole lot of people that have been through really rough things. To be able to step up and own it, own it, and right. explain how they got through it, explain how the sun does sh- does come out and that it will shine. Um, we were definitely very, very affected by that that cult and that series, but from a very different angle, very, very different angle. Yeah. So, for those of you who don't know, both Vicky and I, we were born into a cult in Mexico. And during that time, there was quite a, is it called rivalry between yeah, the, the rivalry. brothers of this, of this cult? And this happened when I was probably four or five, very young. So I don't have memories of the, of the uh, Mormon Manson, as everybody calls him. But um, due to those events, we lived in constant terror and fear for our life. And due to our the way our parents raised us, we were taught to keep everything secret. So to a certain degree, we've kept a lot of those events secret. We never really talked about them. To be honest, Vicki and I, as close as we are in working on this podcast, we have not even shared the memories and the stories of what we went through with each other. It was just a known fact, and we kept quiet about it. Being that I'm quite a bit older than Vicki, I experienced firsthand a lot of the events that went on, and um, 
obviously a lot of things vicariously affected Vicky by the time she came along and started living her life. But due to that um, Hulu series, a lot of our followers, listeners, family members, even my own children have asked questions. And I felt like if there was ever a time for me to step up or for us to step up and share our experiences in the aftermath of what we call that nefarious cult, it would be now. So we got our team together and we had some sleepless nights, several tears, and I'm sure you're going to hear quite a bit of them today. And we round up our shoulders and came together and we are willing and ready to share with you what we went through. So to start it off, sis, what is your earliest memory of the so-called Erval LeBaron? Oh, I was I was so, so small. I think I was three, three when he was killed in prison or died in prison. So I don't have a lot of memories of when the family was actually going through what they were going through. But because of his, him and his, what is he, what are they called, predecessor, whoever takes the, the, whoever's the boss of the religion after he passed away. What is that called? Uh, successor. There you go, that word. Yes, whoever his successor was at the time, because of that, um, dad was in hiding a lot of the time. He was running and hiding uh, in order to save his life and that those of his children. Um, so I got to live in the aftermath of that. I didn't really experience firsthand much of the... the Well, I'm not going to expect you to ask me all the questions because I want you to ask me what you want to (laughs) hear, but I feel like uh, I'm just going to share. So I feel my heart's pounding out of my chest and this is hard for me. You take it before you start crying. It's okay. Let's take a minute. Take a second. Sure. (laughs) I, I was five years old when I heard of him. At the time, he was just one of the brothers, one of the LeBaron men of the church, which was a Mormon fundamentalist church in Mexico. So I didn't know much about him. And to be honest, I feel like the first time I ever remember even hearing him, it was only in fear. So I was at Mom Velma's house, which is my father's first wife, having a sleepover with my dad which is strange. You think if I was having a sleepover with dad, it would be at my house with mom. (laughs) But for whatever reason, it was over there. And we were having a great, a great time. Um, You know, dinner, dad was showing me pictures of his family. I was really little. But when you're little, you can sense fear in your parents. You can sense when there's something bad happening or going on. Anyways, so dad or mom Belma gets a phone call. I know it's something scary. I saw that My dad reacted really different. He was scared. He packed his bag. He asked us to pray for him. And he left. And I gathered later on, found out that that's the day that Joel LeBaron had been murdered, which was Erbil's brother. I didn't understand any of that kind of stuff. I just knew, you know, you're a little kid, you know, someone has died. So my first memory of Erbil was he had killed his brother and my first memory of Joel is he was in his coffin. And I remember asking my mom, Mommy, where did they shoot him? I don't see it, you know. And she's lifting me up and showing me, you know, Joel laying in the coffin. And she's oh pointing right there goodness. in the middle of his head. It's got makeup on it or whatever. 
So um, I couldn't tell where he'd been shot. And I was I was intrigued with death, you know, when you're little, like, oh, he's dead. Oh, that's a dead guy right there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not understanding the profound message that there was someone who had just killed his brother. As time went on, um, my life changed at that point. Um, my father or our father lived in hiding mm-hmm. for the rest of for the rest of my childhood, he was constantly in hiding, and then that's when all, all the secrecies and all the uh, lies and stories that we had to memorize. You know, yeah. we never could know where Dad was. We never knew. All of a sudden, he'd just show up, and he was there at home, or else he wasn't, right? Being because being that Erville was off um, administrating the blood atonement. At the time, I had no idea what that mean, meant. And to be honest, it's taken me years to understand just how nefarious that cult was. It really took a lot of years. And obviously, you don't, when you're young, you don't want to even talk about it. But every night for the rest of my childhood, I feared the Arbolites. And I can't tell you how many times I fell asleep to watching mom at the window peeking through the window, watching if they were going to attack. Keeping a lookout. So oh. when, when, when we first moved that. back down to Mexico, so I went to school and you know that, I went to school up in uh, San Diego, whatever, we were moving to Mexico, and we got there the day after the raids on Los Molinos. Oh, my goodness. So it was horrid, you know. By then I was a little older. And it's like a mile in. I don't know if you remember the road to go into Los Molinos, but it's just as far as a straight road, as far as you can see down into the valley where the town was. Well, there were soldiers all along the road. And what's so funny is I was, what, seven, eight, nine, right around there. And I was still taller than all (laughs) the soldiers. Because I don't know, they're just little people, you know, they're dressed in green and they have their guns and whatever they're doing. Anyway, so dad had to pull over and they came over and asked us for his credentials and who he was, whatever. I was scared, you know, they all had guns. Of course. And we came in and dad was scared, you know, afraid that he was on the list, he would be killed or whatever the story was. We got there to town. We came into a house that we were going to stay at and one of the Shanoff's house, had, was still on fire. Smoke was still coming up from... I did not realize that you were actually there, there. Sis, I was there. I thought you lived there years later. Nope. Nope. The the Mark Shanoff and Rena Shanoff and all the Shanoff family that was really, you know, Rena Shanoff was married, yeah, yeah. terrible. Anyways, all of them lived next door to the house that we moved into, and the house was still smoldering. And they had... So this these people that are... The nefarious cult is like I like to call them. Whoops, I hit my microphone. They burnt all their houses down when they moved and fled the town so no one could move into their homes. And to be honest, if you go back there, it's almost like those houses are haunted. No one will knock them down or build on the property. They're still there. They're still there. Rebel of these homes. So anyway, so we get to the house. The house is still smoldering next door. And Mom's saying, oh, that's the Shanoff's house. So I get in the car with Mom and Dad, and he takes me up to where the building was. So for those of you who watch this series, you'll hear more detail as to what was going on. Um, For those of you that don't know, the Daughters of the Cult is absolutely not a church or a cult that we were members of, but we lived in fear of them our whole life, and Erville LeBaron was one of the five brothers that founded the church that we were members of. He got angry, wanted power, he broke away and did his own things, and that's where all the daughters of the cult, their whole story started up. So 
when we were watching Daughters of the Cult, we were hearing what the herbalites, like we called them, where they had gone and what they had done. We didn't know at the time. We just saw the murder. Right. We went behind all the different things that what would go on. Anyways, long story short, Dad took me down to the building. So when that raid happened, they loaded the vehicle with teenage kids from 12, 13, and some 17-year-old kids. So it's Shanoff children, their own family so, of children. So the, the Herbalites, like yes. we call them? Yeah. The Herbalites got teenage kids. Yeah, got their kids, 12 years, 13. I'll tell you why I know in a minute. Okay. Loaded them in these back of the cars, gave them guns, and gave them, what's the name of those uh, cocktails? Uh, oh, Molotov cocktails. I can never say that word. <laughs> I want to say martinis. But either way. <laughs> Bring me a martini to, to finish the rest of the story. But anyways, they made those, and they had these kids start houses on fire. And when the family would come out to put the fires out, they would open fire on them. So dad takes oh, me down goodness. to see this big building that they had burnt down where all the townspeople went to put the fire out. And they opened fire, and he shows me a, a place of blood on the ground where one of the young two, the two men that were murdered, one of them had died. And I'm just a little girl. Dad showed that Dad to showed that to me. And I was so scared, and, and I'm looking like, shaking in my boots, you know, what is going on? To me, the bad guys are those soldiers, because they're the ones that have right. guns. I don't know who the <laughs> bad guys are. Anyways, he shows me that, takes me down, and we go, he's actually showing mom, but I was with him, and then he did show me that. And then we drove around the hotel, looking at different homes that were shot up. There was people oh, with, fire. like, t-shirt bandages on their hands, all bloody faces shot oh, up. It was so horrible. For a little girl, it was probably extremely... I'll just say it was extremely scary. Yeah. Anyways, so we spent the night there, went to the funeral. And when I, so I was there with a couple of mom's kids, Brooke, Gerald, Tom, Sandy, a few of us. And I still was, I don't know why kids are that way, but I wanted to see another dead body. I don't know why, why didn't I want to see it? Well, it was dead, it was up there. What does it look like? You're so innocent. Yeah. I didn't understand the dangers. So I asked mom if I could go up. And look at it. And of course, she allowed me to go up there. So when I went, went up there, these, these two young boys, I believe they were in their 20s, and they were from down south. And they were wearing not the mariachi outfit. What are the name of that outfit that, that a lot of those uh, that go around singing in restaurants? Oh, I can't oh think of like them. the Veracruzanos? There you go. Like the white with the, the red white, scarf? Yep, exactly. Like they had like the, a white little jacket and the white pants and a red scarf. They didn't mm -hmm. have the hats on. But so I'm looking inside these wood boxes at these men that have been, or young men that had been murdered. And one of them is his leg. This is so morbid. His leg had been blown off, and they had tucked his pants up underneath him, and it was seeping. Oh, and my God. It was actually, you got to understand, this town was just a, a hole in the wall. Yeah. No running water, no electricity, just a Poverty. Yeah, they were just start, starting the town. I think the, the colony was like maybe, what, 10 years old? Anyways, I see that. I obviously get grossed out, go back, sit with mom, whatever. I had never heard mourning in my life like I heard like that, that day. I, I, I thought it was bad when Joel had died and all his wives came in and mourned his loss. But this was terrible. And a lot of the, the people that had come up from down south were, were still very superstitious and didn't believe in life after death or whatever all that was. So there oh was, boy. I mean, women were jumping in the imagine. hole. I mean, as a little kid, it was so traumatic. Anyways, that's besides the point. But oh the memory goodness. that I'm trying to share is that from that time on, on, Dad lived in constant fear of the Arabalites. Every night that I went to bed, I feared them and didn't 
know who even who they were because they, they were members of the church. So you never knew exactly which people had joined this church and which people were a part of our church or right. God's church. So it was really hard. We went back up to California and we were at church one time and the Irvilites came and passed out all these pamphlets and saying that if we didn't, the members didn't join this church, that they were going to be eligible for the blood atonement. So it was actually a very, very scary time. Joel had died, and Erbil was doing what he was doing, and then Verlin, which is another brother. and My father-in-law. And that's my dog, everybody. I apologize. And then um, Alma, my ex-father-in-law, and a few other people were all trying to decide who would be the one mighty and strong and, and continue with the church, right? There's a lot of history to all of that, which I'm oh, not goodness. interested in, but, but truthfully... The rest of our life, we lived in fear. Absolutely. And which I'm sure you did, too. Yes, are the repercussions of what actually went on. Well, yeah, and yeah. I think like a year later, Mom got moved into the exact house that the second young man was killed in. The exact house. The exact house. And in, in our oh bedroom, goodness. the kids' bedroom, it was stuccoed in, inside. You know, it's adobe houses, and it was stuccoed inside. You could see the chip-out pieces of the wall from the bullets that had been sprayed in. Oh my God. In fact, when we got to the house, mom had to go and buy glass for the windows because they had been shot out. So I was petrified, oh petrified. What I didn't know then is that dad had gotten together with some of the men at the church and they had dug trenches. I think they were like four feet trenches or I don't know, six feet trenches. I don't know what it was with the tractor all around the colony there so that people could not get in or get out. There was only one way to get in and one way to get out, and then they guarded the town. So I, all my childhood, I ran into the Hispanic and townspeople armed with their guns and all, all the time. You'd be coming around the corner, and there he'd be standing. It was oh so scary. It was scary. That and is. you think, okay, are you an Herbalite? Or are you, you know, you just... The law. Yeah, the law, or are you the townspeople? But yeah, we lived in constant fear our whole life. And knowing that that dad was on the hit list, and one of the times dad came and found me and a couple of the other kids, and mom was there, and he had like a Chevy blue truck and had a camper on it. And he came and says, look, sister, you know how you call this sister. Mm -hmm. And he sat in the, the driver's seat of the car and sat up straight. And then he says, see where my head is right here? And then he gets out and then he points across and follows his finger. And he says, see that bullet hole? And there was a bullet hole in the camper. And he was, I guess, a sniper, not a very good one, was there to take him out. And, and missed, they missed him. Well, he was driving. <gasps> I've never heard that yep. one. They missed him. They missed him by I about. I've never heard that what story. What was it? Maybe a foot? Yeah. And dad said, look. So he constantly lived in fear. And take take a man with the big family that he had, not to mention a few of the weaknesses he had that we're not here to talk about that, but and the pressure of his family and then his life being at danger. Dad was on edge all the time. Oh, like, I don't blame goodness. him for drinking, to be honest. <laughs> I know I'm laughing, but it's not really, it's, it really wasn't funny. Yeah, it is. But, and to see what all the people from that town had gone through at the hand of the Herbalites. And if someone would have told me that, fast forward, I don't remember. I'll have to sit back and think. So we'll say 30 years fast forward. Oh, I'm sorry. 30 years rewind from where we are now. Okay. I'd have to do the math how fast forward it was from that day of that raid. I run into one of the young 
teenagers. He was 13, and he tells me the story of what. So his mother had married, oh. had married Erval, was one of his 15, 20 wives, whatever he had. She, she had married him, and he was a stepchild, and he told me what they had done and how they gathered all the kids together and told him, you shoot everyone and anyone you see, oh. and that he had a 22 gun, 22 um, pistol, or 22 rifle, and that's what they gave him to shoot. And if you read some stories of other people, they say, oh, yeah, the Shanoffs were there, but they never shot anybody. Well, someone shot the people, and a lot of people were shot. But teenagers. Anyways, I'm still stuck on the teenagers. Yeah, he was just a kid. And when I asked him, what did you think? He said, I was so afraid of, of the Shanoffs and all them because Erbil wasn't there when he told them, when they told but him. But he all sent the, out the orders? He sent out the orders, but he wasn't <sighs> that there. Coward. Yeah, and so he told me, he told me how they all set up, that where they gathered at the Shanoffs' house. They put them, I don't know, I think they said they had like five or six different vehicles full of kids and some adults, young adults, and went off. Everybody had a part of the town they had to go to, oh and goodness. they were to throw those, um, what did you call them again? Molotov cocktails. They were to throw those, start things on fire, and then shoot whoever came out. Do you know, and, one of my brother-in-laws, he was 15 years old, and he, his job at that, in that big old mess was he was climbing up on the roofs of all his moms, all his dad's wives, and he was picking those things up and throwing them off. And they were exploding on the roof. He was putting out the fires. He was throwing them as far as he could away and try to protect his dad's wife's house. And to this day, he's he's a he's a grown adult. He's a, he's an a, old man. Yes, he has he is petrified of fire. Oh he God. he can hardly even sit in front of a campfire. He just it brings back all those memories. Can you imagine the responsibility on a fifteen year old boy? Uh, you know, all my dad's wife's houses are going to burn down if I don't. And he's throwing these things; they're exploding everywhere. I I did I hear that story. Ex- I, I did hear that imagine. story. I know that that the they thought they would get a hold of Verlin because Verlin was the next brother to be killed, and he was not in town, and they didn't know that. So, um, but the one that you're talking about was there taking mm-hmm. care of his mom's and dad and few. I mean, mom and brother and sisters but yeah I did hear that story I remember it as you're a kid it just seems like it was such a horrific time which it was it was, it was for sure a horrific time but um yeah that whole town has been um it was definitely tarnished and marked by the events so and they still won't build there to this day they won't build on those properties I know that so wow. mom you know that dad and mom went down south over in um down by Puebla and down by those areas, yes, and they would yes. bring up all the natives and mm-hmm. promise them a land of milk and honey. So they bring all these Hispanic families, yeah, bring all these Mexican families into Los Molinos to homestead the town. They give them a little plot of land. I guess at the time it was tarp and and what is it plywood. And I remember seeing the the little natives out there making adobes, trying to build their homes and a dream of a better future. And all these American people come in and bring them to Los Molinos in the name of God. And now they're open fired on by the same people that brought them, obviously not our father, but still a lot of the leaders, which was the Herbalites, and they had mm-hmm. split, gone apart. And it was just so sad. And how do you, oh and they couldn't goodness. go back to there. They, they were poor. They couldn't, you know, buy a ticket, take their family back to where they had come from. So they were stuck there and living in that fear. And um, yeah, it was such a hard time. 
I can't, I mean, you know, when Erbil did pass away, so Erbil evidently died in prison. Some people say he was beaten to death. Some people say he was murdered. I wasn't there, thank God, so I don't know. Some people say he died of a heart attack as well. Heart attack. At 50, what do we figure? He was 56. 56, I think. Yeah, he was very young. So whatever it was, I don't know. But either way, until that moment when that happened, I never felt like I could be safe for a second. We were always so afraid of him. Mm-hmm. But even after that, we find we no more find out he has passed away than we hear about the list in quotations, like I say. Yep. The list. And whose name was on the list, you know? And mm-hmm. and we are taught that the blood atonement was something you did was if you committed sin. Mm-hmm. So how are we ever gonna know if anybody else was gonna decide that we decided you know, for yep. that we decided to have our lose our lives. Right. So as you for those of you who are going to watch uh, Daughters of the Cult and you hear what the, those young women, well, they were young at the time, were put through because of their father and the church and all that they were doing. I mean, we lived in the aftermath of a lot of their um, their killings. Not. I think uh, as of recent, I'd heard like there was close to like 300 people that had died. I don't know how true that is. Wow. But I've just heard the, it, the reports were just horrific. I and didn't even, know the numbers were that high. I knew it was I, up there, but I didn't know it was that I high. didn't either. By the time you count, whatever. Mm. I think, what were we saying? Countless suicides afterwards? Oh, yeah. So you count. Sure. I think they're adding that in there, too. Okay. But a lot of sense. his uh, followers and... It just, it was terrible. I went off and, you know, committed suicide because of the guilt. And who was telling me the other day? I thought it was you. I feel like it was you. We were talking about the blood atonement and how how you could kind of understand how people could fall for the the lies. Not that you understood it, but in other words, the teachings of it was... Oh, I get you. The teachings of it is if you love someone enough mm. and you knew they were going to go to hell... If you could take their life and save them from going to hell, would yeah. you do it? Yeah. So that's how he taught it. He would teach all his followers something. That's along how he the, would con them into doing yeah. his dirty work. Yeah, he he would he would get them to, to believe that that if he if but you love if you love these family members, you love them, then you have to administer this so they can make it into heaven. And but do you I, think that's the way his prede- predecessors, did he say? The, the people that successors. took charge. Yeah, successors. There you go. That took over the, the his, you know, being a prophet or whatever. Do you think that's how they saw the blood atonement? Do you think they just... I can't even fathom, to be honest. I, I'm learning about it as the whole world is learning about yeah. it by watching. Same. You know, they had like a podcast that called, it was out not too long ago, Deliver Us from Herbal. I learned yeah. a lot there. And now this new has come out. And I guess one of the reasons why I've decided it was time for me to tell somewhat of my story, or our story, you might say, is because we have so many uh, followers, so many family members, people that know me, and there's such a confusion. Yep. Yes. Uh, confusion as like, who are you and where were you uh, and who are them? Calls. And uh, you want to just tell them, the same, but not. Like, how do you tell someone, especially when I watched the movie just recently, some of the things they did or said, the women said, mm-hmm. it freaked me out because I would say those things too. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, what? Yep. Like, she says something like, they had to play dumb. So when people ask them questions, where's Irva, where's this, whatever, they, they, they would just say, I don't know. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I did that for years. There were so many secrets, you know. Ours, ours were covering the fact that dad... 
you know, had all his this big family. More than likely he was on welfare, a bunch of different names, you know, had dad did that. Yeah, he did that. And he was doing, you know, whatever else he was doing, taking into Mexico to help build a church or whatever he was doing. So that's kind of what it was about, right? And then also mom probably lied on her rate rent application and said she only had two kids and she had eight. <laughs> I don't know, I'm assuming. So with that, I, I had learned how to say I don't know. And now I'm watching Daughters of a Cult and and she's saying the same thing. It's like, how how do you separate that? There was another thing that she did, and I can't remember. It was another thing. Oh, I remember. They would pull up. <laughs> this is hard. They would pull up at the Goodwill. And they jump out oh, the back no. <laughs> and, and get into those boxes and take the clothing that was donated to clothe themselves, right? And I'm thinking, holy buckets. You did the same. I thought I just did it for a pair of red, white, and blue hip hugger pads, <laughs> but but still I did it. You know, mom was in doing whatever. And I remember mm-hmm. Gerald and we were trying and stuck my skinny little arm inside there. And I pulled out one pair of red, white, and blue hip huggers. And it's still a family joke because I wore them for so long. I thought I was really in. I was very patriotic. <laughs> I love my country, evidently. Anyways, but when I heard her talk about that, I thought, you know what? We did that too. But then when you hear their teachings and you hear a lot of the stuff they did, obviously it wasn't like that no. for us. So the best way I can describe or tell our listeners that we are not like them the best way to tell to tell the story is there was five brothers. They moved into Mexico and their father, and they started a church. One of the brothers got greedy. He wanted the tithing, not only the tithing from the Church of the Firstborn, but he wanted the tithing from several churches in Utah. Mm-hmm. And then he went off and killed people that wouldn't pay him his tithing. So he got money hungry. And his brother told him, nope, you're not doing that. That's not going to happen, whatever he told him. So he got angry, and he separated from them. And this happened, I'm guessing the separation happened when I was five. And then he went off and did his own thing. But I do remember Mom telling us stories how the men would go off on missions to bring converts to the church for God, you know. Mm -hmm. And when they'd come home, their wives would be married to Herbal. Yes, I, I do. He would take he would take the families, so they the, the, they would come home, and now their family your no families because he them. received a revelation, and so next thing you knew, he had the, their wives, and in fact, Mom Velma told me that he had approached her, and she said, "I will have none of your nonsense." She was angry, and when Dad got home, she told him, and Dad was livid, like, "What are you messing with my wives?" <laughs> you know, Dad probably I don't know what he would have done, but he he talked big sometimes. But um, yeah, that that was the ammo of this this gentleman. I mean, he wanted the wives, he wanted the daughters, he wanted the money, and all the power. And it was never enough. I found out like recently that some of the big fights in uh, Los Molinos was for the land. They owned commercial, beautiful real estate on the beachfront, and he had a dream to create this big old. Um, what is that for a tourist, a tourist attraction? I actually ended up seeing that whole map that he wrote up. It was in a frame. It was all colored penciled. And it had all these hotels along the beachfront and had a golf course. He had all, everything you think of that he was going to build this paradise and become a multi-billionaire. And oh, the tithing goodness. of all these churches was going to pay for that. And when the church said, no, we're giving the land to... All these uh, members they had brought up from down south, well, he got angry, and so there was a fight over the land. Oh, wow. So as time goes on, you hear more and more about the stories. 
But I can say these eyes have never laid eyes on him. Except what I've seen on YouTube, maybe. No, not YouTube. What is it? Hulu? No, Herbal wasn't in Hulu. On, on uh, the internet. Well, he was on the... Is it the Daughters or oh, the yeah. Sisters of the Cult? It's the Daughters. Daughters of the Cult. He was... I yeah, mean, right. showed I videos him of there. him on You're there. right, I did see him. So those are the only ones I've ever seen of him. But I do know that when we were growing... Um, before we were born, I'm sorry, growing up, that Grandma wanted Mom to marry Herbal. Did you ever hear that story? I do remember hearing that. Yeah, because he was charismatic. Mom was yeah, he was charismatic, tall, handsome LeBaron. Grandma thought, ooh, la la. He, and he was so... And he dressed really nice. And he he was With so all the charming. church tithing money, he bought himself some <laughs> nice clothes. <laughs> and he was so charming. Yeah. He was very charming. And Grandma liked it and told Mom to marry him. Mom says, no way. Even one of his daughters on that, on that series... Um, she said, oh no, it wasn't his daughter's, it was, um, his knee, oof, Esther's daughter, his oh. niece said that he would talk to people and he could see the minute he had them. Like he would, he was very, very clever with his words, uh, stroking their ego, making them, and he could see the minute he had them. Yeah. And that's when, uh, you know, he would, he would appeal to their ego and then get them to do all the fun, fun things, things. Fun things. All the fun things he wouldn't do. <laughs> all the horrific things he would Terrible. do. Terrible. Yeah. So for, I don't know how long did, I can't even remember if I, I'm going to have to sit and think right now, when was the last time I ever feared him? I think I would venture to say, even when the four o'clock murders happened, that was still his doings and his people. Yeah. And I remember just like going through the stages of all this fear, right? And finally, okay, he's dead now. And then, oh, there's a list. And then you wait some years until that water's down. And mm-hmm. I believe right after that, in fact, that's probably something you would want to share a little more about. Like, for those of you that don't know, Ervil actually murdered. Had him murdered. Well, had yes. had um, Vicky's father-in-law murdered, who is mm-hmm. Berlin. Which is his own brother. Yeah, so you yep. can tell that story. So I don't know much about it. Um to go a little further back, I remember being a child, and I thought his name was Evil. I thought that his name was Uncle Evil. <laughs> but you were right. <laughs> Which it might as well have been. Um, and uh, so I do remember thinking that as a little child, like, who would name their kid Evil? That's just, it's no wonder he's a bad guy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I remember being tiny thinking that. Um, I, I do think I was affected in two different ways or two different aspects. One is um, dad moved us to southern Mexico, and uh, and then he decided to go back to northern Mexico, the whole mess of things, and mom would have none of it. So he just left us in southern Mexico. So I grew up without a dad, if you ask me, because of herbal. Right. (laughs) And um, we went through some um, unbearably hard times i mean we suffered starvation uh, we're in danger of every animal around every corner snakes and hurricanes and like i said starvation which it was a, that was the biggest one being in a very very strange land where we stood out like sore thumbs right. like i i got a chance there to feel how you feel on the daily where everybody reaches right about to there <laughs> <laughs> which there means uh, they're under just my very yeah. very um tiny yeah very smaller shorter people so we stood out there a lot, and I do remember having to live a lot in, in secret. You know, you don't say that 
you don't have a dad because then people would come around because they knew you were defenseless. They, you don't say that your older brothers are not home. They're always home, you know, because yeah. you have to in order to protect us. And you don't say that you have all these many siblings. You don't say what you believe. You don't say what you think. You, you don't go out alone. It was a very restricted um, youth growing up there. And then when I eventually I married my husband, um, watching him grow up without his was biological his, dad. Was his father deceased when you married him? Sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. My husband was five years old when his father was killed. And uh, watching all the different ways that that, that affected him. He did have a, a stepdad, and that was a beautiful part of his life as well, but he didn't have his dad. You know? And watching all the the psychological things that come out because of that he doesn't he didn't even realize a whole lot of them and I would bring it to his attention and he would be like I guess that is because I didn't have my dad around so I don't know how that would feel or I don't know um I remember being really afraid that he wouldn't know how to be a dad because he didn't have a dad <laughs> right right well she ended up being an amazing dad oh, he really is. but isn't there a story about when um when Verlin was killed that he died three days after yes. Erville died. He died three and days after. And he never knew, he never knew that his brother had died. To my knowledge, he did not. I know. always imagine what that meeting would have been like. You know, Erville, who tried to kill him for so long um, and had him on the hit list, and there's countless stories of missed him again, and mm. he got away mm. and missed him again, and he was in such hiding, and he had a big family, and how he had to sneak in to even see his wife's and and children, but I just imagine what that meeting was like, you know, boom, Erville's killed or dies, whatever the story is there, he's on his way to wherever he's on his way, and Berlin's killed three days later, obviously from the Ervilites' orders, and he gets there and Erville's there, I just imagine what that meeting's like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't think Herbal's in heaven, sister. Well, I, I wasn't really saying like heaven or hell. I was just saying just at well, whatever point they figured it out, whether they did yeah. it, it's just more a way of thinking. I wonder mm -hmm. how that conversation went. But to think that your your brother, just think this through, your brother no. killed one of your brothers in cold blood no. and then went off to get you for 10 years. I know. You know? I, that doesn't fit in my mind. It doesn't fit in my... And I cannot mm -hmm. imagine the pain of their mother. Yeah. What she went through. I remember Mama telling me a story about when Herbal um, was on trial and they had to bring his mom. Maud. Yep, and they had two people hold her up because she could not stand on her own. And Is it because she was frail or just because she was just overwhelmed with emotions? Overwhelming. Her son has killed her son or had him killed and now she needs to go testify against her own son. So two, um, Mama held one of her arms. Our mom? I didn't know that. And helped her in to the witness stand to testify against her own son. Mama helped? Mama helped her walk in. I didn't know she that. She held sis. her arm as she walked in to testify against her own son. Can you imagine the pain? No. Yeah. no. Mom said she would never, ever forget the look that that, mom, that man gave his own mother. Was it? A he looked right through her, this blank stare as if she was not there. Was mom scared? Was mom there with her? Or she just walked her mom, in? Mom just, well, she she aided her to walk from 
in the room to her seat. Was mom scared? I believe she was. Oh, I man. believe she was. She, I, that scares the heck out of me to think, did mom get, end up on the hit list? She must have been on the list then. Shortly after that, we ended up in southern Mexico, so I'm assuming she wasn't on the nice list. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I didn't know that story. Yeah. That's, that's terrible. Can you imagine a mother turning her child in or, or testifying against her child? I can't. Because he had a... I, 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 it doesn't fit in my head. It doesn't... I, I can't imagine what the energy was like in that courtroom. And what was it like five, eight years later, however long... Then he murdered another, another well, of her sons. She, she was alive when those three boys died. Mm-hmm. Out of the five that were there, she was still alive. I don't know, my goodness. All for what? Power? Greed? In the name of the Lord? A few more women. A few more women. You got all the women. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I don't think it was for women. I honestly believe he was uh, mental, and he believed what he was doing was of God, I guess. I don't know. Just listening to what his children have to say about him. You know, it's heartbreaking to think that that their blood related to that spawn of Satan. Whoops, I meant that that bloodline. No, truly. Like, I, I honestly can say that for my children, some of them, they themselves struggle with that name. They don't want to be associated with it. And yet I think it's a beautiful name. But all the stories and all that come with it, it's it's a heavy name. And it's riddled with some craziness and a lot of of crime. A lot of, uh, yeah, obviously murder, but some crazy stuff, you know. I know that my children, obviously, they, they don't change their name, but it's a hard name. And I yep. said, hey, there's, there's just all kinds of them out there. All kinds of librarians know, Mom, more because than likely. Because of a few, yeah, many ruined. suffer. They ruined it for a lot. Yes. Here we are talking about these painful things, and we haven't touched on near the stories, but something so painful because we feel the need to say we're not one of them, right. you know. Being Jones is that kind of, as a, you know, it sounds a little better, but our children are the barren, you right. know? And how do we say, I've had back when I was single and I would try to date, I'd have people send me stuff from the nefarious cult is what I call it and ask me if I was related to them. And how do you say yes, but, but no? Yeah. Yeah. I've had several people call me and they're like, Vicky, how do you fit in? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> My father-in-law was one of victims that's how we that's how I fit in right right it's it's a scary scary thing to think that that we're here as I feel that we're well rounded obviously we have trauma but um and this and this uh Daughters of the Cult uh Hulu series actually stirred up a lot of stuff we had no intentions to even talk about that you know i i swore i would never put his name anywhere in my book or ever mention his name that he didn't deserve that and here i am you know like how do you how do you tell the story without saying the name and who he was and i think watching these women tell their stories and they were victim to a very evil situation as well and i mean i don't want to get into all the details but i i know and have heard and have been around for so many of the details of a lot of the trail of murder that he did mm-hmm. when he uh, murdered his own daughter you know or had her murdered 
I ended up being best friends with one of the Marstons when I was little, and she knew the story, and it was one of her half-brothers who did the deed. And the stories that came out from that were horrific to a 19-year-old little girl, and I believe she was pregnant with her second she child. Was, she was pregnant. She was pregnant with her second child. They never found her body. And, she, and a lot of those girls, if they didn't do what was told, they knew that that would happen to them. So the fear that they had to have lived in, I mean, it's just, it's just to me horrific. And we were little. Who would have ever thought that, what has it been, 40 years, 45 years later, whatever it is, but no, 50, 52 years later, whatever, we're here talking about it again. Mm. And as I was trying to tell you earlier, like through my life, I thought, okay, it's over. It's like I was always waiting for this bad thing to be over. And yeah. now he's dead. That should be good enough. Oh, no, mm. there's a hit list. He snuck it out of the prison and he has people that are. And so there's still some murders going on, you know, more murder, more murder. Finally, that comes down. We move back to Chihuahua. I've got three, four kids now, three kids. Either way. Anyways, about to have another child, and boom, the four o'clock murders happen. And everybody it races through like fire, fire. Wildfire. Wildfire through the whole colony. Everybody's back in their home. Everybody's turning down the lights. Most of the men are loading guns, dealing with guns, oh, being prepared goodness. because they're coming after us again. It's like I just kept going through this Which fear. never ended. It never ended. And there's parts of my story that I will save to talk about on our next episode, how this makes a full circle and actually comes right into my my door, into the doors of my life. It enters all the way in. Like here, you say you're not, but there's so many pieces infiltrates from that infiltrated everywhere. into my life. And I will save a lot of that for our next episode because I know this is getting kind of long. But for right now... I feel like our intentions on this first uh, edition is to let all of our listeners and all of those who love us and those that don't love us and those that know us and don't know us Mm -hmm. to kind of just reassure you that we are not (laughs) of that cult. And also, we are victims yes. as well. <laughs> we are victims, and then tune in to hear the other half of the stories. I I want to fix that. We are not victims, but we are amidst a whole lot of all those happenings. Well, I was just hearing us, one of our sisters just saying, it's like, we, how did you say it? Like, we grew up in the aftermath yes. of the trail of blood and murder there of you that go. cult. There you go. Very well put. Yeah. So there's lots of stories. I, I'm kind of holding back on the stories because I just don't know if I want to go that deep and that dark because I don't know. I don't know yeah. if it's, it's a wise or not, but... Um, for right now, I feel like it's, at least we kind of give enough information of how that have affected us and let people know that we are not one and the same or even anything related to any of the stuff that they did, but we did, we were affected. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned for part two, unless there's more you want to add. And kudos to you for not having to blow your nose. <laughs> and uh Stay tuned and we will return. So until then, get up, pull up your Sphinx, put on your bra or not, and take back your power. We did, and you can too. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. We are not licensed healthcare professionals of any kind. This audio should not replace nor substitute the advice of any healthcare professional.